Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse in their accomplishments. Today, I am joined by Lydia Schock. Welcome, Lydia. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Wonderful. Who are you, Lydia? I am many things. I'm a writer. I'm a dual citizen. I was born in the States, and I've lived in Canada for about 10 years now. So what? how did you end up in Canada? I actually met Drew online a long time ago. Uh, we fell in love and we decided to get married. So I moved up here to be with him. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> I just assumed, um, for those of you listening, I actually work with Lydia's husband. So um, that's how we met. Um, that's really cool. Well, I, you know, I knew that they lived in the Phoenix, your parents lived in the Phoenix area, but I didn't yes, know that yeah. you were from the U.S. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you write? Science fiction. Uh, it's my favorite genre. I've read it since I was a little kid and I love writing it. And you recently released, or yeah, you recently self-published a book. What's that about? It's a collection of short stories. It's called Waiting for, Waiting for Earl to Die and Other Stories. And it's basically science fiction short stories that are set in the present day about people who experience really bizarre things in their daily lives. So there's actually one in there where you... You're, you're in, the reader is introduced to the story as, you know, someone is getting, um, has severe allergies and is getting shots for their immune system. And I was reading it and I was like, I do that every week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my whole family has bad allergies. So I know all about that. <laughs> so was, I was like, oh, I can connect with the story. And then, it, <laughs> you know, being a science fiction oh, yeah. book, I was like, oh, oh, oh. No, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. The main character is actually based on my dad. Um, He had terrible allergies for years. He only recently decided to get treated. And so he was very nervous about, okay, what are these treatments going to do? Are they going to work? And of course, it's worked out well for him, for for the character, not so much. Yeah, that was, it was interesting. (laughs) So one thing I really like is that um, you kind of have a spectrum of stories. You have everything from like you're you're kind of like gent gently introduced to the the science fiction element. It's like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of reading a story and then it's like, oh, that's where the science fiction comes in cuz you know, I knew that they were all, you know, had a science fiction theme to them. Um and some of them you're just kind of dropped in where it's like, oh, like from the get-go, this is this is definitely about science fiction. So I really liked the I guess the the breadth of your storytelling style. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. That's my favorite kind of science fiction. I like jumping around. So that's what I like to write. So what is your writing process like? Right now, I do a lot of writing in the mornings. I usually find ideas either through dreams or through strange dreams I found online. And I have this whole list of ideas. And eventually, I will pick one and then just start playing around with it, seeing what the character wants me to do. It's so funny that you put it that way, because um, I think people who aren't writers don't understand that these characters have minds of their own. Oh, they definitely do. Yeah. I'm working on a book right now where the character just doesn't want to do what I want her to do. So we've been having this little argument about, okay, I want you to do this. And then she'll say no. Um, I had a a very dear friend um, who was actually a pretty well-known writer in Korea. And then she moved to the U.S. Um, after she met her husband. And um, she was talking about her process one day she was just so sad and I said Mia what is going on and she said well I'm writing this story and 
I want this character to be, in her words, a strong character. I want her to, you know, I want her to be strong. And she insists on falling in love. And I keep telling her that, you know, she doesn't need a man. (laughs) She just won't listen to me. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they just won't listen. And so you have to go where they want to go and see what they want to show you about their lives. Yeah. And I just don't know how to describe that to people who aren't writers. It's hard. Yeah, I don't know. So how long have you been writing? Started when I was in high school. Um, My teachers always thought I was very studious because I would be taking all these notes. And some of them were notes for the class, but some of them were ideas. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah. Eventually they would find out, but normally I'd wait till I'd finish their class and then I'd see them socially or somewhere and I would let them know that some of my notes weren't actually about the class. (laughs) Um, So you've always written then oh yeah pretty much yeah oh yeah I was actually homeschooled until the fifth grade so for the huge part of my childhood I was at home we'd do school for a few hours in the morning and then the rest of the day we would write or play outside or watch tv um my best friend homeschools her kids so oh wow it's interesting seeing it from you know I've had friends who are homeschooled but it's kind of interesting as, as an adult um watching the kids you know I, I oh have, yeah I have opinions about public school. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you self-published your book. Why did you decide to do that instead of finding a traditional publisher? I wanted to keep creative control of my characters. I have friends who have had a few issues with their publishers wanting to change things about their stories and them really not wanting to. And I wanted to make sure that what I wanted to say is actually what was being published. In You chose to put it on the Kobo store exclusively. Why did you make that decision? Uh, For two reasons, actually. One is for tax reasons. Kobo isn't based in the U.S., and that means you don't have to get a tax ID number to publish on there. And the second reason is because they have really good customer support. Nice. Yes. Um, So what is that process like? I've heard various things about, like, Amazon Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what was the publishing process like for you? I figured out most of it on my own, actually. Um, they have a series of steps that they send you through, but you have to know how to format your document and how to upload it. And once you do that, it's actually pretty simple to publish it. Very cool. Um, and so you published it in? In January. February, of this year. January. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And how is it done? Pretty good. Good. I'm happy with it. Yeah. Good. Well, yeah. I I I spent money on it because I wanted to read it and oh, wanted to support you. you. Um, and uh, I encourage. You know, it it was it was nice because the stories are of such a length that if I had you know fifteen minutes, I could sit and read an entire story. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I really liked having like that sense of completion. I felt you know because sometimes I get you know like I don't know reading George R. R. Martin's books and it's just like I'm reading the same same book for months and months and months since I just you know I usually have five or ten minutes and it was (laughs) nice it was like I got this whole story I understood what was going on I didn't forget any characters nice yeah so you're working on a novel now I am working on a book that hasn't decided if it's a short story or if it's a novel ah (laughs) It started out as a full-length novel. I hated the second half, so I cut it out, and now I'm trying to figure out if it should be a longer short story or if I should expand it back into a novel. Interesting. 
So I think one of the hardest things for me is cutting out things that I've written. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you, how was that for you? It was painful, you yeah. know? I had a certain set of scenes I wanted my characters to go through, and they just didn't want to do things in the way I wanted them to do it. So I tried to shuffle it around, and I just didn't like how it was working. Um, so I still have those pages. They're set aside. I might go back to them. But for now, I'm focusing on the sections I actually did really like. It's so hard. I always feel like, you know, I, I did this with a, a proposal, a conference proposal, um, like, two days ago and mm -hmm. I was like you know it's just three paragraphs I can write three paragraphs this is easy <laughs> and I was like yes I really like this and then I'd look at it and I'd be like oh this is the worst thing I've ever written but I spent so much time on it oh I know and it was just a few paragraphs you know it was like <laughs> half of a novel yeah you just have to be ruthless sometimes and you know cut it down to what you really love and then see where you can go from there yeah kill your darlings unfortunately yeah yeah <laughs> yeah sometimes literally well not like literally <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally writerly um yes. yeah so where do you so you write science fiction but where yes. do you get your inspiration from science fiction is basically all that I read when I was a kid I started out with fairy tales and I read every single book of fairy tales that my local library had and my parents would drive us, you know, once or twice a month to go to get books. And I would have so many books, I couldn't carry them all. So started there, then moved on to adult science fiction. Um, I was a really big fan of Mary Shelley when I was in middle school, oh. especially Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was about that book, but I just loved it from the second I read it. So I've actually, I, I have tried Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. I've always struggled to read the cl the classics. So I've never actually read, you know, Tom Sawyer all the way through or Huckleberry oh, really? Finn or um, I, I've I made it through Jane Eyre, which is actually my favorite book of all time, just because it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was. It, well, and part of it is like that nostalgia because it was the first, quote, grown up book I read. Mm -hmm. um so you know but like I haven't read Frankenstein um I haven't read most of H.G. Wells I haven't read you know like my, my list of books that I have not read you know these classics is is mm -hmm. in extremely long what was it about Frankenstein that appealed to you so much this might sound morbid but I was fascinated by the by the idea of sewing up a dead body and it coming to life interesting yes well, but I think that is, you know, Frankenstein's monster appeal, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's the same as our cultural fascination with zombies and, mm -hmm. um, you know, all of that is like, I think it's that fear of unknown, right? And oh, what yeah, happens, yeah. you know, what if yeah, I didn't what, have to die? Exactly. Yeah. And also just the fear of, you know, when I die, are people going to respect my body? What happens to it? You know, once you're dead, you don't have control over that anymore. Yeah, I don't like that. No, me either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you read now as an adult? I actually read a lot of books that aren't science fiction. I've started to get back into science fiction, but I think writing it and reading it sometimes is a little bit too much. Yeah, I've, I know a lot of authors who don't read when they're in the middle of a project because... Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, it's just too hard and then I know some authors like you know who can read from other genres but mm -hmm. um so 
Do you have a top science fiction book that you've read lately? Yeah, uh, uh, there's an author named Joel Walton, and she wrote a book called My Real Children. It's about a woman who has to decide if she's going to marry a man she doesn't love. This happens in the early 1950s. In one lifetime, she decides, okay, I'll marry him. And the alternate lifetime, she's like, no, I'm not going to. And based on that decision, her life totally changes. It's a fantastic book. That's something I think about a lot, you know, like the the alternate universes where I went left instead of right and what those what those Aleens are doing. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I knew. <laughs> yes. The funny thing about that book is that at the end of the book, she's very old. She's in a nursing home and she can't remember which life she had. So she's trying to remember, did I marry the man I didn't love or did I go off and have an adventure? That's very sad. It is, yeah. It can be. Aw. It's very, <laughs> like, I don't know. Is um, Losing control is something I don't like. You know, I don't like narcotic pain medication. Ooh, no. I yeah. don't like, you know, I know that's why I don't get drunk. I've never been drunk. I've never, <laughs> you know, I've never done drugs because I, it's like if I'm going to do something, it's going to be because I'm, like, going to do it you know oh yeah I'm the same way and that that thought of like being so fastidious about that and then in my old age just not knowing anymore Uh uh-huh oh yeah it's scary yeah it scares me (laughs) it scares me a lot so I'm trying to think of of the books that I've read recently so um, I don't know if you like young adult fiction at all. I love them, yes. So have you read any of Scott Westerfield's books? No, I haven't. Okay, no. so I'm currently reading, I believe it's called the Leviathan series. I've heard of it, yeah. I haven't read it yet. It's really interesting. He took, um, he kind of reimagined the past. So Charles Darwin, instead of just coming up with the theory of evolution actually started like genetically engineering things and right. And part of um, what plays into um, world war must be world world war one. I think it takes place in the twenties is, um, is actually genetic engineering and the people who believe they're the Darwinists who use who use genetically engineered creatures to help fight the war. And then there are the, the, you know, the Germans, the other side who rely on just mechanics and um, they have like flying creatures who are like whales spliced with jellyfish spliced with other things. And they're like an actual ecosystem. So it's like a self-sustaining ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really interesting how he just completely like there are threads, you know, there are threads of truth from what you learn in, you know, like high school history about Mm -hmm. um, Franz Ferdinand being assassinated and that kind of thing. But there's also like this completely fantastical element to it, which is fascinating. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, I, I really recommend it. I got it. I got the first one for like two ninety nine on sale, you know, like oh, wow. on Kindle. And I was like, oh, you know, if I don't like it, it's no big deal. And so now I'm like, oh, yes, <laughs> I'm on the second book in the series. Nice. And then the other one is I think we actually talked about this um, when we met in January is uh, the um, Expanse series by J- James S. A. Corey. 
is the other science fiction series that I'm really liking right now. Yes, I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Okay. So I don't want to say where do your ideas come from because mm-hmm. that's such a cliche <laughs> question. And I know, you know, it, it's it's different for everybody. And you've already you kind of talked about it a little bit that mm-hmm. it comes from, you know, your dreams or like a reimagining of, of a situation your dad's mm-hmm. going through or whatever. But do you know what's what ignites that creative spark for you? I think it's wondering what's going on inside other people's minds. Sometimes I ride the subway and I see someone who's wearing a really, really funky outfit or they have like six dogs with them. And I wonder, what are they doing? Where are they going? And so in my mind, I try to make up stories that would explain that question since you can't exactly walk up to a stranger and say, hey, where are you going today? Interesting. I, um, it's something that I struggle with is mm-hmm. like... I don't know. I struggle with a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) So you're fortunate enough. I talked to um, Andrea Judy was two episodes ago, I think. And she Mm -hmm. um, she's gone the actual publishing route. Um, So she has you know, she's currently pitching to agents right now to to find a publisher. Um, And but she also has a full time job. You're um, you're in such a situation that you're able to actually stay home and write when you want to Um, oh yeah what has that been like for you because because it hasn't always been true right I know that you had a full-time job and you know you've since been able to just focus on your writing how has that changed your I don't know your writing relationship with yourself oh it's been wonderful um I worked I worked in retail full-time for a long time and that's a very hard job physically and emotionally um, so just transit to transition from that to something I really love has been really amazing. Has it changed the process or the way you approach writing or do you just have more time to be able to do it? I think it's made it easier to keep track of all my ideas because if I get an idea, I can stop and write it down versus working eight or more hours a day in a very fast paced situation. It's hard to have the time to stop to stop and do that. I think it's also probably, at least it would be for me, it's it's harder to um, focus, you know, it's like, because you, you have all of your work concerns and all of your, your interpersonal, you know, however many coworkers you have, and keeping their lives straight and new policies and procedures for the company and like all of this new information that, that just like is a noise when, when it's not what you want to be doing, right? It's just like, extra input taking up space. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's also the benefit of of setting your own schedule of, you know, being able to stop or start. Sometimes I work at 6am, sometimes I work at 2pm, sometimes it's late at night, which is really nice. Are you a morning person? Oh, yes, very much so. Yeah. (laughs) I think that writers have the stereotype of being always night owls. Oh, I've never heard that before. Yeah, I, it's something um, Andrea and I talked about was that she has a blog post that she wrote um, where she tried to force herself into being a night owl because she was like, all of my writer friends are night owls and, you know, they stay up late. And she was like, nope, I get up, I get up, I get up and write. And um, I wish I was. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so do you think you are a morning person then? Oh, no. No. Oh, no. Okay. No, even even when I was very young, um, like during summer breaks, my, you know, 
my mom didn't care. She was like, mm-hmm. you can stay up all night reading, whatever. You you know, you're, you're 10, you don't have anywhere to be. So I would <laughs> stay up all night reading and I would sleep from like 4 a.m. until noon. And oh, then, wow. you know, and I've just never, even now, sometimes, um, like, um, my husband and I were in Georgia last week for a conference. And so I'm kind of still on Eastern time, but kind of mm-hmm. not. And so I'm, you know, I'm waking up at about like six and I'm like, oh, it's only six. I should be asleep and I, I don't want to get out of bed. And like some of it's oh. just me messing yeah. with myself, but I've, I've always been, I will very easily revert to staying up until one or two in the morning if, if oh, given wow. the chance. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my body just doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Well, I wish it was the other way, especially since I work remotely for a company um, based out of Toronto. It's really hard for me because by the time I'm rolling out of bed, you know, and starting work at nine o'clock, it's already noon there. The day is done. You know? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, so I wish I wish I were a morning person, but (laughs) we should just switch. We should. (laughs) How can we do that, Lydia? Oh, I wish I knew. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a story. One person, one person yeah. wants to be, what are, now I'm imagining, what are the repercussions? Because there's always, <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, magic yeah. always has a price or whatever. Definitely. Every single time. So do you have a favorite fairy tale? I would have to say Sleeping Beauty. Um, there are old versions of it in which the prince actually gets the princess pregnant while she's asleep. And that always freaks me out. But I like the more modern versions where she just slept for a hundred years and nothing bothered her, and then she woke up. I thought that would be nice. I didn't. So I haven't read like the grim version of the fairy tales. Mm-hmm. A couple I have. I did not know that that was a, an ending. Once yes. upon a time, that's bad. It was terrible. Yeah, and apparently, at least in the stories I read, she slept through the whole pregnancy and birth, and so she woke up with I think it was two or three children. And she had no idea how they appeared. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, the feminist in me is just... Oh, it's okay. Oh. <laughs> I read very dark things when I was a kid. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, I know. But, you know, they were, they were cautionary tales. You know? They were, yeah, yeah. They, they existed for a reason. Um, that's really interesting. I oh, think they I were knew- very sanitized, yeah. Well, and, you know, Disney especially, you know, we mm-hmm. I think nowadays we, you know, you say Sleeping Beauty, I think of the Walt Disney version of Sleeping Beauty. And um, he was ruthless about making them, you know, conform to his his idea of what family friendly was. Oh, yeah. I actually know somebody speaking of feminism. I mm-hmm. <laughs> grew up with some working with somebody um who worked on Sleeping Beauty. She's a very very talented artist and um I remember I was like 16 and I asked her about working on on the Disney film. And I was like, "Did you did you draw? Like is there a scene that you were you were integral in creating or something?" And she just mm-hmm. she looked at me because, you know, oh honey you don't know anything and she was like women weren't allowed to draw at Disney she said I colored um I colored the gels but I wasn't I wasn't allowed to draw and that's one of my first memories of um of really thinking wow you know it's it's been 
a long, hard fight for women to, I don't know, to equality isn't even the right word, but just, just to be able to be like in the same ballpark as men. Yeah. It's been a very, very long fight. And I don't, I'm trying to remember, I th- I think it's, you know, only been in the last 30 or so years that women have actually been able to draw there, which is fascinating to me. I would not have guessed that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, anytime you watch an old, you know, Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty, <laughs> think of all of the women who were only allowed to color. Wow. Yeah. It kind of it kind of messes with the movies now that I'm older and I know all of this. I'm like, oh. Yeah, it makes okay. me. Yeah. That's odd. So we've talked about TV. <laughs> we talked mm-hmm. about TV one-on-one. What kind of television shows do you like? I'm a big fan of Supernatural. Talk to me about Supernatural because I cannot get into it. Really? Yeah. Have, what season have you tried? One. Okay. One is really different than what it is now. Um, season one is more of Monster of the Week. So it's these two brothers who travel around the U.S. and kill monsters. And season one is almost entirely about them finding the Monster of the Week and killing him. Uh, it's since evolved into plots that take up a whole season instead of just one episode. And they're about more characters than just the two brothers. My mom loves it. She's like, <laughs> you really need to watch it. And I'm like, okay. So maybe I just start with season two. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah. I mean, I like season one, but I don't mind, mon- I don't mind Monster of the Week. It just depends what you like. Well, and I think um, I'm, I'm, something I've been realizing about myself is that I'm all about people. Mm-hmm. We were on our flight home from from Creative South and we were listening to an episode of the Incomparable podcast mm-hmm. and they were talking about Star Trek. And you know, they talk about things like what's your favorite ship and you know what, you know, why is it your favorite ship? And I'm like I don't I don't know the ships. Like I I wa- I've watched Star Trek since forever, you know, like literally my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the ships. I know the people and I have opinions about the people, but you know, I've been realizing a lot lately that that's, that's my thing. Like I'm, I'm about helping people and not about things. And so TV shows for me, if there's not character development, Mm -hmm. I have a really hard time with them. Who would you say is your favorite character on Star Trek? My favorite character on Star Trek. Yes. Um, at all of everything you can pick it's up to you <laughs> <laughs> um i really like seven of nine mm-hmm. um from voyager she has and i think it's that about people like she has this really tragic sad background mm-hmm. she's resilient she's intelligent she's um and she grows as the series progresses. You know, she's introduced kind of midway through as the series goes on. She she just grows as a person. And it's fascinating to me how, one, Jerry Ryan did it. She's an amazing mm-hmm. actress. And two, how it was how they just kind of there's a slow evolution. I think that the writers did a really good job with that. Um, you know, and. I try not to say things like, oh, I like Captain Picard because, you know, everybody <laughs> says that because everybody loves him. But. Yeah, yeah. 
Are you like me? Have you watched a lot of Star Trek? I have seen DS9, and I'm actually in the middle of TNG right now. Okay. So you made it through the horrible first two seasons of The Next Generation. Good job. Yes. It's it's mostly uphill from here. I'm trying to think. The the thing about The Next Generation for me is that it happened... um, like something that um, Gates McFadden and um, what is her name? Mar- Martina Sirtis. Oh, I'm awful. I'm <laughs> awful. But for for Deanna Troy and um, Beverly Crusher, you know, it was it was like right on the cusp of like, oh, hey, women can do things. Mm-hmm. And so in the beginning, it's a whole lot of like, you know, this guy's like on the on the view screen like screaming and Deanna Troy's like I sense that he's upset <laughs> yeah yeah there's a whole lot of that but um but they get more character development later on um, I'm glad to hear that yeah yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's not it, it it's better <laughs> um you know and I grew up watching the next generation so it's it's hard for me to be objective about it and like who's my favorite character in the next generation I all of them yeah. Yeah. So what do you think of, of DS9 and, and TNG? I like them. Um, I saw a few episodes of TNG when I was a kid, but I, I never saw them in a row. So it's really interesting to go back and see how they're actually supposed to set up one to the next. The thing I like about The Next Generation is, um, like, DS9 is so, there's so many story arcs in it. Oh, it's really hard. Is. Yeah, it's hard to drop in and just watch an episode. Mm-hmm. And that exists in The Next Generation, too. You know, there, there are definitely um, themes and there are, you know, like two-part series and there are definite arcs, but it's not as pronounced. So, you know, Justin and I still, you know, every, I don't know, six months or so, we just cycle through them. So we'll, oh, we'll wow. go, we'll watch The Next Generation, we'll pick out our favorite episodes and, you know, just kind of go through them. And then we do the same with DS9, but it's harder, you know, it's harder to just drop in and remember everything that's happening in that particular episode. Yeah, definitely. Who's your favorite DS9 character? I can't pick. I don't know. I love them all. Uh, I had a cat named Cisco. Really? I did. Um, That's a great name for a cat. It is a great name. He was an obnoxious cat. I loved him to death, <laughs> but he was he was just awful. Unlike Avery Brooks. Yes. So, yeah, it's, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great cast of characters. Definitely, yeah. So, do you have plans to watch the original series at all? I have actually tried it once or twice, and I just couldn't get into it. I have a hard time with it, too. Yeah. I think that the shooting style back then was so different than what we're used to now that it just feels slow at least for me yeah 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 no I agree and um the sets are bad and mm-hmm. yeah I, t- I texted my mom when I was watching it and I was like do the sets look bad on the little screens with bad resolution or is it just now and she's like no they looked yeah. bad and I was like okay cool. <laughs> uh. did you experience any culture shock when you moved to Canada I think the biggest thing for me was the free health care. Um, when I would when I get sick up here, it's still there's still a part of me that says, "Ooh, should I go see a doctor? And then I have to realize, yes, it's free. You should go see a doctor. It's it's hard. <laughs> I imagine oh, that's a be. huge shift. Yeah. 
Because my family, we didn't go to the doctor unless something was broken or bleeding or like we were really, really sick. So to go just for little things now is still kind of weird. Yeah, I can't. Even now, even, you know, with insurance and I don't know, $25 copay, it's not Mm -hmm. it's not too bad. But I still, you know, same thing for me when I was little. It was like, okay, you've got to be sick for like three weeks before you go to the doctor. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the other day I was thinking about like... (laughs) I actually, like, I had an ear infection, but I didn't know it. I went to the doctor, and she was like, you have an ear infection. Because I went early enough that it didn't Mm -hmm. progress to being painful. Oh, wow. Um, So I think it's going to be interesting to see where the U.S. goes with health care. Because, I mean, even with Obamacare, insurance is still expensive, you know, even, even with the breaks. So I don't know. Yeah, that's what I've heard from my friends who are still in the U.S., yeah, I think Justin and I pay like $560 a month and it's just the two of us. So Wow. Yeah, it's it's huge. Yeah. But I'm lucky enough to be able to do that and I know a lot of people aren't. So <laughs> Oh yeah. I know yeah. a lot of people who are like, "Well, I'll just take the penalty because it's it's less than paying for insurance." Mhm. Yeah, it's a real problem. Well, um is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? I don't think so, no. Okay. Um, So Lydia, how can people find you online? I am on Twitter. If you look up Toronto Lydia, all one word, you'll find me there. You can also go to kobobooks.com to find my books. Uh, Just search for Lydia Shock, and I will be the first item on the top of the list. And it's a good book. I really encourage everybody to go check that out. Thank you. You're welcome. You can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. And if you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to lessthanorequal.com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it'd be great if you'd leave a review on iTunes. And um, we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash Aline. We reached our first milestone. Um, So we'll have um, once a month bonus episodes where we talk about um, some kind of something in pop culture. So maybe a movie, maybe a TV series, um, maybe some books. We'll see where it goes. I'm really excited to start that. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.